Well, thank you, Brother Bob, for that time of intercessory prayer, and uh, we, uh, we're excited to see what God wants to say to us this morning. Amen. We gather to hear from the Lord after a wonderful time of worship. Uh, now we want to uh, worship in song. We want to we turn to worshiping God in and through His Word. And here on Sunday mornings, as most of you know, we're in a Sunday morning sermon series entitled, When Bad Things Happen to God's People. During this series, we're being inspired through the life of Joseph, a man who loved the Lord, who persevered, who just hung in there and and trusted God even when things didn't look so good in his life. We're being inspired by a real man with real problems who was following a real God with real solutions. And we're being inspired through his example and being inspired through uh, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, that God is, uh, God's in control, that even in a messed up world, even in a fallen world where bad things do happen to God's people even, uh, God is on the throne and God is still at work. And you can count on the fact that uh, no matter what you're going through, God doesn't leave His children, and God doesn't forsake His children, and He walks by our side, and He holds our hand, and He carries us through difficult times. And the life of Joseph is a great example of that, as we see him just trusting the Lord at times when it would have been so easy to check out and just give up and say, this is not worth it. I'm going to throw in the towel Joseph doesn't do that. He keeps loving the Lord and trusting God. And we're moving to the part of our series here on Joseph where we're seeing Joseph's dreams come true, the fulfillment of the dreams that God spoke into his heart as a young man. We're seeing those come about. But Joseph's sure been through a rocky time. We followed him through the ups and downs of, of life from being his father's favorite and being hated by his other brothers who were jealous. Uh, The dreams that he had as a young man that pictured his family coming to bow down before him and, and himself in a superior position to them, which led them to hate him even more. Uh, from, from his brother's uh, drive to, to kill him, to, to, to take his life and deciding against that. And instead they just sell him into slavery, which they do. And Joseph finds himself as a slave in Egypt. But even there God was with him and God blessed him. And it wasn't long before he was moved from a common slave to the steward of Potiphar's home, who was the captain of the royal bodyguard. But it was there in that elevated position that Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of making a sexual advance upon her when the truth was she was the one who made the advance on Joseph. And he declined. He said no. He ran out of his coat to get away from that situation. But he was falsely accused. He was in prison. But even there, God blessed him. It was there in prison that he interprets two dreams, one from a cupbearer, and one from a baker. The cupbearer got good news. He would be released in three days. But the baker, <clears throat> the baker got bad news. He would be executed in three days. Joseph only asked for one thing from the cupbearer. Cupbearer, when you're with the big guy again, when you're serving him, will you remember me? Will you tell him my story? Will you use your influence to get me out of here? But the Bible says 
that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. And so for two long years after that, when Joseph could have, be, could have been in prison at that point in time, uh, already up to 10, 10 years before the two years, he goes to Egypt when he's 17, it's 30 when he is elevated and receives his big promotion. So we don't exactly know how long that Joseph was in prison, but certainly it could have been, counting the two extra years, uh, he could have been in that 10 to 12 year zone of time in prison. Waiting on God, trusting in the Lord. And finally, Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can interpret. He has two dreams for emphasis, and he's needing somebody to interpret the dreams. It's then that the cupbearer remembers this guy that I was with who had an uncanny ability to interpret dreams, and they came true. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph up out of prison to interpret the dreams. Joseph, using the gift that God gave him, interprets the dreams. The dreams were this. We're in a period of seven good years, but seven years of famine are coming. And so we need to make sure that we work hard, that we store up resources, that we have a plan in place to survive the seven years of famine off of the plenty of the seven years of good times. Pharaoh likes the idea. He recognizes that this is from God, and Joseph is promoted. Joseph is placed into a position where, where he's promoted. Uh, he is placed in, in second position in the land, kind of as a, a prime minister of sorts, a prime minister of sorts to Pharaoh, and that's where we're going to pick up this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to Genesis, and as you make your way there, uh, Genesis chapter 41, Genesis chapter 41, and verse 37. So Genesis chapter 41 and verse 37, this is Joseph's moment of big promotion here. The Bible says that when Joseph presents this dream, interprets this dream, and offers the plan, that verse 37... This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only, only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee! Then he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall be able to lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went all throughout the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. 
He put in every city the food from the fields around it. Joseph stored up grains in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. We're going to stop in our reading of the text there this morning. Likely we will go beyond that in the message this morning. But I wanted to highlight through the reading of the text this special moment when Joseph has got to be seen a, a picture of these dreams of prosperity coming true in his life. He, he's got to be seeing the, the hand of God and the mercy of God and, and, and that while the cupbearer forgot Joseph, God never forgot Joseph. And here in this passage, one of the questions that I have had about God's sovereignty over these two years the cupbearer forgot Joseph, one of the questions I have had is, is what, what is this forgetfulness about here? What, what, what does it mean that, that the cupbearer for, forgot Joseph for two years? Is this a... I'm not, is this a case of, of kind of an amnesia sort of thing where he just gets out and completely forgets there was a Joseph, there was a dream that Joseph wanted help? And, and my understanding of it is not so much that. What I, what I picture in this forgetfulness of the cupbearer is the fact that he gets out of prison himself and, and he's probably a little bit guarded for a while in what he asked Pharaoh for, what kind of favors he might ask Pharaoh for. I mean, he just wants to get back on Pharaoh's good side. And so it's unlikely he's going to come out and have the boldness to say, oh, by the way, Pharaoh, now that I'm restored, I need you to do something for me. I made a friend in prison, and I'd like you to get him out. You see, he probably came out thinking, there's no way that I can do that. And so one day turned to a week, and a week turns to weeks, and a month, and months. And, and so for two years, there's this situation where the cupbearer perhaps doesn't see a good time to bring Joseph up. And by the way... God's hand of sovereignty, church, is all over that two-year period because if God wanted Joseph out the day after, he could have got him out. Somebody say amen. And so we want to see God's sovereignty in the fact that it was God's will to continue two more years of molding Joseph and working in his life and just doing what God was doing to prepare him for the promotion. And so, yes, the cupbearer forgot Joseph. But we want to understand that God didn't forget Joseph. And God, I believe, with all of my heart, was doing work in Joseph's life. And it wasn't right for him to get out right away because God was still a working on Joseph. Eventually, Pharaoh has the dream. The timing's right. Nobody can interpret it, and Joseph can. Cupbearer thinks this is a great opportunity to remind Pharaoh of a friend that I met in prison who has an incredible ability to interpret dreams. And Joseph comes out, interprets Pharaoh's dreams. It's pleasing to Pharaoh, and Joseph is promoted. We see here, if you'll look with me at this promotion, what a, what a promotion it is. He was elevated into a prime minister kind of a position, from prison to prime minister. And if you'll look with me in verse 41, as, as Joseph is promoted, 
it's incredible the, the change in Joseph's life. Uh, uh, he, he was promoted. Pharaoh makes a motion. It's a motion that didn't need a second. And Joseph gets kind of, you might say, all the bells and the whistles that go along with that position. Verse 42, uh, Pharaoh took his signet ring and put it on Joseph's finger. This was used to seal official documents. It authorized Joseph to have the authority to conduct the business of the state, so to speak, on behalf of Pharaoh. Uh, he dressed him in robes of fine linen. These were the, we might say, these were the royal duds, amen. Uh, put a gold chain around his neck. Uh, he rode in a chariot, kind of a limousine of the day. Uh, as he went about, folks said, make way. This was kind of the equivalent of having secret service protection as Joseph went around as a very important person. And, and what we see here through this promotion, what we want to relish and worship and praise God for, is that God in His sovereignty eventually promotes Joseph. And it doesn't matter that the cupbearer forgot Joseph, that God's hand was still on Joseph, still taking care of Joseph. I, I, here's where I'm at this morning. I, I, I'm not going to I, I'm not going to be overly critical of the cupbearer. I'm, I'm going to try to understand the position that he was in in this moment of forgetfulness. And I'm certainly not the kind of person that would be critical of anybody who is a little forgetful because I have amazed myself in life at things that I have been forgetful about. How many of you will join me and not let me be all alone this morning in my confession that you have amazed even yourself sometimes at the things you forgot? Would you raise a hand and join me in this moment of mass confession this morning? I, I amaze myself sometimes at the things I forget. Now, I can make excuses. I can say, I got a lot on my plate. I have to keep track of a whole lot of things. And every now and then something gets lost up in here. I've got all kinds of good excuses. But I, I had a colossal moment of forgetfulness last summer that I'll never forget. It was quite embarrassing, but I just, I, I'm amazed. I'm telling you this because I can't be critical of the cupbearer this morning. It was last summer, and we were going on family vacation, and we were at that place now with four growing kids, six people in our family. We realized that we no longer had enough room in our minivan to take all the stuff that we needed on vacation. So for the first time in my life, we bought a topper. We put the topper on that van, and we loaded it up, and we took off for vacation we had a blast. I took good care of it, even though I wasn't used to having a topper. First topper of my life. We had a great week of vacation. We were celebrating as we came back and rolled into Muhlenberg County that night. And I went down East Depot, and I whipped into our driveway, and I opened that garage door, and I pulled right into the garage with that topper on top. <laughs> And, and, and listen, be easy on me. I've pulled in that garage. I, listen, I've pulled in a garage probably 100,000 times in my life. And I'd never pulled in one with a topper on top. Let me tell you, when you forget that there's a topper on top of your van and you pull in the garage, you'll be reminded really quick. In fact, that's a mistake that any of us could make. In fact, I'm sure I'm not the only one. How, we've all done that, haven't we? I mean, how, how many of you by raise of hands have pulled into a garage with, with a topper on? Just me. Just me. 
Okay, a dolly. How many of you have done, let's do this. I, I got I to encourage myself a little bit this morning, all right? How many of you have just done something else that you can't believe you did? Let me raise your hand. Oh, I feel better now, all right? Uh, I am the only one that's, done, that's pulled in the garage with a topper on, but yeah, we've all done something kind of wild like that. You wonder what in the world happens uh, when you do something like that? You're all concerned. How's the topper, Brother Kevin? We're all concerned. Uh, the topper was just fine. The topper was not damaged in any way, but uh, it sure ripped off the luggage rack in a hurry on the top of the van. That's what happens. Yeah, that's what happens when you, when you do that, right? An embarrassing moment of forgetfulness. So I don't have stones to cast at the cupbearer this morning for his forgetfulness, and I hope that you don't either. And all in all, what I want us to see is this, is that people, I'm thinking of the cupbearer, People are not strong enough to stop what God wants to do in your life if God's on the throne. Did you hear me? People are not strong enough to stop what God wants to do in your life if God is on the throne of your life. I love how Joseph doesn't let the forgetfulness of the cupbearer keep him from loving God serving God, trusting God. I'm amazed at how many people are affected in their relationship with God because of other people. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm amazed at how many people no longer, maybe no longer go to church because they've been hurt by somebody. Maybe a bad example in their life or they came to church and somebody upset them. And I want to encourage you this morning that if I, can I, can I just preach to myself, if I ever let people, if I ever let people affect my relationship with God, then I've got my eyes on people and not Jesus. Come on, somebody. If, if I ever, if I ever say I'm backing out on the church, I'm backing out on faithfulness and prayer or in the Word of God, I'm not going back to church again because of what somebody did to me or somebody didn't shake my hand or somebody didn't smile at me. That's evidence that I've put people on a pedestal and people never belong on a pedestal. This place, this church is all about Jesus. He's who we lift up and He's who we we worship. Amen? And so if you've, if, if you've ever had a bad experience in church, my heart, my heart breaks for that. We don't want anybody to have a bad experience in church. And I, and I hope that you and, and me, that we will, will be friendly and loving and kind and, and, a, and, and just everything we can be to give people the best experience here. But at the end of the day, if I'm ever affected in my relationship with God because of people, it's evidence that I've got my eyes in the wrong place. Here's what I found out. People will notoriously let you down, but God will never let you down. People will upset you, but God will never upset you. And I love how Joseph continues to trust the Lord in the forgetfulness of the cupbearer and just trusting God's sovereignty. We see that he is placed into a position of promotion here, forgotten by the cupbearer, but never forgotten by God. As we move forward here, we see God's revelation put into action. If you look with me, won't read it again, but if you look in verses 47 up through 49, Joseph has the plan of God. He puts it into action. Uh, the Bible says that faith, do you know this, James 2 and 17, that faith without works is, it's dead. 
And so Joseph is active, he's busy, his, his faith is driving him into action. And I, and I love his faith, I love his positive perspective. We see it in the naming of his children. Look with me, if you would, in verse 50 through 52. As we move forward in this text, we can see Joseph's faith by the names he gave his children. Uh, he's married, he has children. And the Bible says that one of his, uh, one of his sons he named Manasseh. It means forgetful, and he said it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim, verse 52, it means fruitful, and he said it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And I'm, I'm inspired again by Joseph's faith as he experienced, experiences this time where the Lord is blessing him, as he looks back at, at, at tough times, he looks back at dark nights, he looks back at valleys in his life, but, but he rejoices in God's hand on his life. He rejoices in God's faithfulness. He's a man of faith, and that faith drove him to live with optimism, to see the glass half full, to see that God is still on the throne, that God is still good all of the time, and all of the time, God is good. And, and this was a long time. Remember, up to well, certainly 13 years from the time that he has the dream at 17 till the time he's promoted at 30. Church, 13 years, I guess depending on your perspective, but 13 years is a long time. It's a long time waiting on something that God's told you is going to happen 13 years is a, is a long time to wait. I mean, a newborn baby grows to be a teenager in 13 years. Uh, we, we got, uh, that just happened in our home. Our son Noah turned 13. We've got now two teenagers in the home, and, and one, Madeline, is now driving. And so if you've never prayed for your pastor, pray for him now, all right? <laughs> um, but, but 13 years is a long time. And, and, and how tempting it would have been to give up during that 13 years of time. My friends, sometimes you, you just got to go through the tough times to experience that breakthrough, to experience that deliverance. That, that, that tough time, hey, tough times don't last. But spirit-filled followers of Christ, tough, tough people do. Think about tough times in my life that I've been through and God's brought me through. And uh, I think about our family and tough times that we've been through. One of our members was asking me here uh, over the past couple of weeks, asking me how we're getting settled in. We've been here three and a half years now and uh, talking to me about how that must have been, must have been a tough, tough time, moving your family from uh, one part of the state to another. must have been a tough time. We talked about that, how God's been with us and how much we love it here in Muhlenberg County and love Second Baptist Church and our family uh, loves this community. But talking about what a, what a difficult time of transition it is when you move a family from one place to another. Uh, there's things that, that uh, you know, we, we like about a, a larger area and things that we like about a smaller town. I, I prefer a smaller 
our town, and it reminds me so much of growing up. But one of the things, you know, in terms of our transition here and, and some of the tough times was regarding just some of the modern conveniences that our family kind of missed a little bit being in a larger area. And our kids, as they begin to ask, you know, about Greenville and understanding Greenville, they begin to ask about, uh, th- you know, things like, well, well, well is... Is there a movie theater in, in Greenville? You know, because we were just right down the road from a movie. No, there's no movie theater. Well, is there at least, is there a mall? Is there a mall in Greenville? No, there's not, not a mall. Is there, at least, I remember Connor, uh, our, at the time he was five years old, is there at least a Target in Greenville? They like the toy section of Target and love going to Target. No, there's, there's not a Target, you know. It's a small town, and you've got to drive a little way to get to those things. And so they were optimistic. God was with them, but they were, they were going to miss some of those things. I'll never forget moving day was very, very tough for us. Uh, we were anticipating, the movers had told us that they'd have us in the parsonage uh, the night of the move, and we would be able to at least maybe get our bed set up and, uh, and sleep in our new home that night. Well, about 7 p.m., still in northern Kentucky, I was pretty much thinking that's not going to happen, right? And so we wind up uh, staying in a hotel here our first night, and they were going to move us in the next morning. It was a rough, long night for small kids, and I'll never forget how tough it was. We were about 30 minutes from being uh, here in Greenville uh, to the hotel, and we made a stop, and the kids were, were crying. They were tired. They were wore out, and I'll never forget uh, that, that, that as we were saying, hey, we're just 30 minutes from being there. I know it's been a long day, but we're just 30 minutes from being there. That Connor, uh, with big tears in his eyes, said, Mommy, Daddy, when we get to Greenville, can we go to Starbucks? <laughs> and Jessica said, uh, honey, there's no Starbucks in Greenville. He likes their hot chocolate, by the way. No, there's no, there's no Starbucks in Greenville. And he, and, he said, and he has this moment of great overreaction. Parents, grandparents, your kids ever overreact in a colossal way? Yeah, all right. He has this moment of great cla- classic overreaction where he says, what? There's no Starbucks. He says, first you tell me there's no Target, and now you're telling me there's no Starbucks? But God got Connor through, and fast forward three and a half years later, we're in the parsonage, we're settled in, and God is blessing, and we love it here. And what we have found out that the main thing is not that there's a Target or a Starbucks or a mall or a movie theater, but it's that God's at work in Greenville at Second Baptist, and that's all that matters. That matters most. Amen, church? Tough times don't last, but tough people filled by the Spirit of God following Jesus, they do. Here in this passage, we're reminded that while Joseph was forgotten by the cupbearer, he was not forgotten by God. As we close out and look at this promotion that Joseph received, I think about, I think about heaven. I think about heaven when I think about Joseph's promotion. Uh, I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. You can see that sometimes on TV. Uh, those preachers that believe that you're always going to get the raise, you're always going to get the promotion, you're always going to get the good doctor's report if you just believe. Uh, I, I'm not that guy. I believe that sometimes you do get the good doctor's report. God gives you that. I do believe that sometimes you get the raise, that sometimes you do get the promotion. But I do believe that also Jesus has called us to take up a cross and follow him. And so sometimes God works in our lives through the difficult times, and sometimes we, we don't get the promotion. Sometimes we don't get the raise. Sometimes we don't sell the house right away. 
but, but God is still with us and God is still faithful. And the greatest promotion that I'm looking forward to, my friends, is not what I'm going to have here on earth. It's what I'm going to have when I get to heaven. And Joseph is a great example of, uh, uh, of a beggar, of, of one imprisoned who received a promotion. And it's a picture of heaven. And as I close my message this morning, as we think about Joseph's promotion, I want to encourage you to make sure that you trust in Jesus, that you give your heart to the Lord so you don't miss out on heaven. Heaven is real, hell is real, and eternity is just a heartbeat away. And we want to make sure that we know the Lord. We want to make sure that we're ready for that heavenly promotion someday when our life is over as I close this morning thinking about the heavenly promotion that's ahead of us, I want to close with a story by Dave Stone. He pastors is one of the pastors of Southeast Christian in Louisville. Got to hear him at a conference years ago, and he was talking about how when he graduated from high school, uh, they had a, a party at their church for the graduates, and all the parents just kind of shared, uh, shared a story, uh, shared a story, a, a highlight from their kid's life. And as I was thinking about the fact that heaven is going to heaven is going to mean uh, no more sorrows. Heaven's going to mean no more problems. Heaven's going to mean no more, no more goodbyes. Heaven's going to mean, you know, no more pain, no more suffering. As I thought about that, I thought of this story. His parents shared a highlight from his life. And while most parents had some kind of an athletic highlight or an academic highlight, uh, Dave said that his parents went back to when he was six years old. And he kind of joked about that and said, evidently that doesn't say much about my life that they had to go back that far to get a highlight. He says, I, I must have peaked at an early age in life. But at six years old, his mother and father would never forget how they found out that Dave's uncle uh, had cerebral palsy. And they had just found out, and so Dave's mother uh, was on the couch. She'd found out her brother has cerebral palsy, and she'd just found out, and she was on the couch in the living room, and she was weeping. And Dave came in, six-year-old boy, Dave came in and said, Mommy, what's wrong? And she said, Honey, we just found out that your Uncle Greg uh, will, will never be able, likely never be able to walk again. And Dave said, Never? And she said, no, never. And he said, Mommy, he won't even be able to walk in heaven? And she said, oh, honey, yeah, yeah. He'll be able to walk in heaven. And she said, little Dave, six-year-old Dave, looked up with his little blue eyes. And he said, well, Mommy then I guess we'll just have to wait until then. His mother said, I thank God for a six-year-old boy on that day who helped me gain a little perspective. Heavenly perspective. My friends, I'm living primarily not for the rewards, not for prosperity, not for the promotion here on earth, I'm living every day of my life for the great promotion that's going to come when my life is over. Amen. I'm not going to miss it because Jesus is my Savior. And if Jesus is your Savior, you won't miss it either.
Would you bow your head and close your eyes as we enter into a time of invitation? If you know Jesus, then you can rest assured that heaven's your home. The Bible doesn't promise heaven for anybody apart from Christ. As I said, heaven is real and hell is real and eternity is just a heartbeat away. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you can't count on that promotion that belongs to the children of God when life is over. But you can know that that promotion is yours by calling on the name of Jesus, the one who came down from heaven, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins, and rose again on the third day. By believing in Him and calling upon Him to save you from your sins, you can be saved and know that Christ is Lord. During this time of invitation, I beg with you and I plead with you to know that your sins are forgiven, that heaven is your home, that you've got that heavenly promotion coming someday when your life is over. If you don't, that's what the invitation time is for. I'll be here, Brother Bob will be here, and we'd love to grab you by the hand and help you know, lead you through a prayer of faith so you can know that Christ is your Savior. Lord God, this invitation time is yours. We thank you for the faith of Joseph, the inspiration that he is to us. We thank you for your sovereignty. God, that you're at work in our lives through the ups and downs and the valleys and the mountains. God, we pray that you bless this time of invitation now. Bring people to you. Deal with hurt, deal with pain, deal with things, Lord, that have held us back, that have kept us from seeing your goodness and your mercy and your love. And again, have your own way. Save the lost. Bring those out in the far country home during this time of invitation. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. This is our time of invitation. It's a time for you to respond to the word of God that's been brought to you this morning. So don't delay, don't hesitate, don't wait on somebody else. If God's speaking to your heart as we stand and as we sing, you come if God's speaking to you.